This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Ruger, Rugged, Reliable Firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callingest Calls Made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Taurus maker of the Raging Hunter and other fine handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Thank you, David Fox, and welcome to DSC's Campfires. This particular day, I've had great opportunity to sit down once again with Mr. Corey Mason, who's the Executive Director of the DSC Dallas Fork Club, and now also you're taking over the DSC Foundation as well, too. So we're all under one roof, which I'm absolutely thrilled about being a member <laughs> Life member of DSC and then member of the, of the DSC Foundation Board. Corey, we're just over a really nice event that happened here in Dallas. We had a great event uh, last Saturday night, and uh, they're at the Belo Mansion in Dallas. Uh, we had about 225 people in attendance, uh, several more hundred uh, that joined us online, uh, and several uh, north of 100 that joined us at a party at Conroe Taxidermy uh, and Ox Ranch. And so, yes, we had a, a wonderful event, and uh, obviously it raised needed funds for the mission to DSC. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, many intangibles in the sense of getting people together again. And the, the chatter and the opportunity for people to get together and show fishing photos or whatever it was, it was pretty electric. It really was. I happened to be down at the Conroe event, and there were a lot of smiling faces down there, too. So I know everybody there had a good time. And we're all set for the convention as we move forward, right? We are all as a go. Uh, we're in constant communication with the convention center, city of Dallas, and all those authorities that have control over the facilities. 
uh, in touch with our volunteers. We're looking towards a couple of events coming up in October and one in December, our DSC 100 events. Oh, yes. Uh, we call them the DSC 100 because they give 100% of their time and talents. Uh, now, you rewind years ago and it was the 100 because it was 100 people. <laughs> I, re- I remember those days. Yes. <laughs> right. It is that 100% effort. And yep. we've got the best volunteers in the world when it comes right down to it. They're, we do. They're no fighter group. They are generous. Their time and talents and treasures and everything in between. And so we have those events coming up uh, and uh, really an all in preparation and a convention committee chair meeting in between now and then. Uh, And all of those are needed details to make sure that we have the capacity and that we're ready to deliver a tremendous event. And, you know, the upcoming convention in early January, the 6th through 9th is our 40th event. So it'll be an absolute celebration. It's going to be a party, but it it's will going to be. be a great party on top of all that. Now, moving between, that's all of our good news. There, yep. there are some things, <laughs> unfortunately, that we're facing right now that I really think people need to be totally aware of. And you you were filling me in a little bit before we started this about some of the things that we've got coming up very quickly that everybody needs to be aware of. And everybody needs to get in touch with people and say, wait a minute. There are, unfortunately, and there's a number of things just over the last 30 days specifically, Larry, that have been in the national news and some of the, the, the state-level news as well and international uh, that really are reminders to ourselves for the need for an organization like DSC. Uh, Without and the, a doubt. And the need for DSC to operate in the space that we operate so effectively, uh, specifically with our, our relationships, our contacts with state-level congressmen, federal as well, uh, and the reason we have a lobbyist in Washington, D.C., uh, to address these kind of issues. And, and they're very broad uh, from, from state-level initiative petitions. Uh, we'll look at Oregon, for example, to start with. Uh, there is an, a state-level initiative petition there to gather several hundred thousand signatures uh, to put a, uh, an initiative on the ballot for the November election uh, in 2022 coming up uh, that would essentially ban all hunting and fishing within the state. Uh, and oh it's more gracious. broad even than that, uh, that no harm would be allowed to any mammal, bird, reptile, amphibian, unless someone's life was in danger, an act of self-defense. Uh, and so essentially it would eliminate uh, hunting and fishing as we know it uh, in the state of Oregon. Further than that, uh, just in the loss of game and fish license, uh, hunting and fishing license, it would result in a loss of $50 million dollars to the Game and Fish Agency. That's just on the sale of the hunting license and fishing license. There's much more dollars that would be lost in addition to that. And so it would have total devastation uh, to the Game and Fish Agency. They would have no more ability to do their job to conserve the state's resources. And so, but yet that's that's the kind of thing that's, that's there on the ballot. And, and to be very candid, uh, those kinds of things are moved forward through, you know, a few of the very large uh, urban areas, uh, and very likely they'll receive those signatures to get it on the ballot. Uh, now, if it passes or not, obviously we don't know that yet, uh, but very dangerous things. And there is a really strong hunting and fishing culture in a number of those states, from waterfowl hunting to fishing specifically. Absolutely. There really is. So so that's one that's on the radar. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a big threat, a big challenge. Uh, and again, it, it really speaks completely in the face of what has made North American wildlife management the model of wildlife conservation around the globe. You know, the, the user pay public benefit model, uh, sportsmen carrying the weight of game and fish agencies from a funding perspective, managing game and fish populations, et cetera. That model is just slapped in the face uh, with this, you know, initiative petition. But uh, so we have that. We have a pretty similar one. It's on uh, the, the docket in Florida. Um, it's quite broad. Uh, another uh, initiative petition that 
that includes there's there's five right now in this aggregate group from stopping toll roads to uh, quality water, um, wetland health, uh, protection of iconic species. Uh, but then lastly, and you kind of wonder how this falls into this large bucket here, uh, but the nexus is essentially the uh, prohibiting uh, um, captive canned hunting. Hunting preserves is the word that is used there. Uh, and so an iconic species hunting, uh, which is obviously broad and ambiguous on purpose. Very ambiguous, yeah. yes. And uh, hunting preserves could be anything from, you know, uh, quail hunt to feral hogs to deer to, again, a very broad definition there. So uh, there's many things there that are of really significant concern. And when you look at Florida, I mean, Florida has an extremely large base of, of uh, hunters oh, in English. Oh, yes. And so uh, it's a real concern there. And, again, they're in the process now of trying to gathering the needed signatures uh, to be able to put it on the ballot. Uh, so... You know, I think, you know, one of the things that, that I talk about a lot of time is the apathy that hunters and anglers show. Uh, and that's obviously not meant in a positive way. No, no, the, no, no, no. The hunt community, if it's the deer hunting community or bird hunting community or bear hunting community, whatever it is, trappers, uh, fur bearers, whatever it is, they see an issue. And if it doesn't touch them specifically, they don't get concerned with it. They don't take action. They don't take legislative action. They fail to contact their representative or congressman. Uh, and so they're very apathetic. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a very observational true fact. Uh, and so we should all see this as a community of hunters and anglers, as a call to action to always step into that void and, and contact your representative at the state level, at the federal level, and say, I oppose this and let me tell you why. Um, and we have to get better as a community about that. And we're all stakeholders in it. We may not live in Florida. We yep. may not live in Oregon, but we're stakeholders in what happens there because of the wildlife, of, of our caring about wildlife to begin with, but then so also because of opportunities and even because of federal land that's there. I Absolutely. mean, all of us own federal land, so for them to be able to say, yep. that, that shouldn't happen, you know? So That's right. what are the better ways to, I mean, making people more and more aware, everything we can do you to bet. make people aware of this, but where, where does it go beyond that? And and how do we correct some of this apathy? Do we have to lose something before uh, people go all of a sudden go, oh my God, you know, what? why, yep. why weren't we doing something? Is, is that what's going to have to happen? You know, I'm afraid that it might. I'm afraid that it's because right now many of these attacked are, are essentially aimed at fundamental opportunities. Right. Uh, again, the ability to hunt, the ability to fish, and it's going to take, unfortunately, at least the, the sort of the state of play, it looks like people to lose something close to them to be to be called to action. Um, and if it's, you know, the the attacks on bear hunting right now are constant. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and that is coming. Uh, yes. And it's coming right along beside wolves, mountain lions, the ability to hunt it all with dogs. Uh, and that even includes bird hunting with dogs, all right. of that. Animal husbandry is at all associated with that. And many of that are in around things that are happening at state capitals associated with animal husbandry. Uh, size requirements for the uh, ability to, uh, to to breed and sell a lab, you know, that's used to, to hunt waterfowl or maybe it's a flushing dog for pheasant, whatever it might be. Um, and so... Those things that are dismissed as this doesn't affect me, it absolutely directly affects. We're all stakeholders, and to your point, uh, and you raise a really good point in the sense that, you know, yeah, maybe people that are listening here, they don't live in Oregon or they don't live in Florida, right. but, but they are a stakeholder yes. because there are federal lands, and just as a concerned citizen in those respective states, it is a good time to contact 
your state level, regardless of what state you live in. And feel free to reach out to Oregon because you are a land, you are a shareholder, stakeholder yes. in a piece of federal land. Uh, it's really important for people to remember that. But it's also a good time to contact your local state representative and let them know that, hey, I'm aware of these things that are taking place in these other states. And I want you to be my essentially, you know, keeper of the gate here to make sure this doesn't happen in our state because these things are happening in another state. And we need to make sure it doesn't happen in wherever your state you're living, Oklahoma or Louisiana or Missouri, wherever it might be, you know, to put your your state representative or congressman on on alert to say, I'm aware of this. And it, and I'm you as, as my representative elected official, I'm holding you responsible that this doesn't happen here, too. And that could be done through phone calls. It could be done through emails. Absolutely. Text. Mail. That's exactly right. <laughs> even, even the old postal service mail. Kind That's of right. Thing. And done respectfully uh, and very professionally. Yes. It's, it's very uh, effective. Yes. I, I know it here, having worked in Texas side of things, very often uh, swaying somebody's vote comes down to three or four letters. That's exactly right. Or three or right. four contacts. And who they've heard from. And who they've heard from. It depends on who those three or four were, you know, kind of thing. And then we've talked about this in the past a little bit is, is I, I'm a big believer in being positive in, in the fact that if you have a legislature that Slater or congressman, senator, whatever, that's done well in your estimation, then by God, tell him thank you. Absolutely. Or thank you. Those go a long way, too, because even though all of a sudden now they know they're appreciated. And so it hadn't just been a, kind of a one-sided thing. And so I think that's really important. But what's the best way in terms of, uh, like in, say, in Florida or or Oregon or Texas or Louisiana or whatever state, what's the best way to find out who your representative is? Because a lot of people, I'm sure, they go to the polls, they vote, and you ask them five minutes later who they voted for, and chances are they probably couldn't tell you. That's exactly right. And and sometimes it's a perceived barrier, but... Realizing that most of us carry a smartphone around in our pocket and certainly have one accessible at the house or business, uh, with a real quick Google search, you can literally type in, you know, find my local elected official and, and it will run by your zip or uh, at least, you know, nearest location. And you can find that state level representative and certainly your federal representative as well, depending on the, the appropriate situation there, the contact. Um, and again, that email that's probably going to be received by a staffer, which is fine because yes. they're accumulating those results and they're going to provide that to, I use the kind of, kind of the word boss in air quotes because that's right. usually how they refer to who they work for. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, but they'll provide their constituents feedback to them and let them know that, hey, we're hearing chatter on this or this is an item that we're receiving some communication on and it's important to our constituents and thus um, you know, they'll self-inform themselves on it. And sometimes, and I've had this happen to me, um, they'll reach out. And it may be a staffer that calls you and say, hey, uh, we appreciate the call or contact or email or letter or whatever it was. And uh, you'd have two minutes because I got a couple of questions for you. And that's the right. best thing in the world. Amen. Engagement like that, you know. Absolutely. And they can hear uh, where you're coming from, uh, from a personal convention standpoint to uh, maybe philosophical, whatever it might be, uh, but what's near and dear to you, you know, and you can answer those questions and tell them, hey, I support this or I don't support this. And uh, and this is why, you know, um, and whenever you engage like that respectfully and professionally, um, you'll get a whole lot further. You do. You, you do. It's the whole thing. You win, catch more flies with honey than yep. you can do kind of thing <laughs> when you get right down to it. But absolutely. What, what about some of the other states? Or I know there are some things going on across the water that a lot of times people go, oh, that's over in Europe or that's in Africa or, exactly. or New Zealand or Australia. You know, that's not going to affect us. But that's the, it's like a tsunami wave as far as I'm concerned coming toward us. And 
we've got to deal with it. We do. We have a lot of things. So we talked about a couple of state level issues, and we have one right now that's from a congressional level state side um, that relates to the interior appropriations, the funding of the Department of the Interior and thus Fish and Wildlife Service. And so the way funding works at the congressional level or at the national level more specifically is, you know, a budget is approved, um, hopefully, ultimately. Right. And then those respective agencies, if it's BLM or National Forest or whatever it might be, Department of the Interior in this case, and then they know how they prioritize funding and staff resources and allocations, et cetera. They know what the next year looks like. Well, oftentimes, if those things aren't passed, they will operate off what's called continuing resolution, which essentially means the same this year as it was last year, right, which right. Would happens fairly frequently. Um, well, um, in the last probably 30 days, um, the Interior Appropriations Funding Bill, um, there was some language inserted in that, uh, actually Section 436, that uh, the language was pretty pretty brief, two or three sentences, but what the language did is it allowed the funding for the Fish and Wildlife Service, and this isn't unique, it happens all the time, but this particular uh, language would prohibit the uh, processing of permits of, of imports, legally taken animals, uh, associated with elephant and lion from a few specific African countries. And so the funding of those agencies was contingent upon them not using any of those funds to legally do the job in which they are tasked with doing, which the irony and the hypocrisy in that is just unimaginable, but it happens all the time. You look in that same appropriations bill, and there'll be things in there about not touching this mine or not working on this mitigation or this whatever else it might be. And so it's essentially each congressman from whatever respective geographic area they come from having their pet project, and I mean that to be detrimental. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to not get it funded or to try to get it funded, whatever right. it might be in each particular case. Uh, and obviously this came from some assemblage of congressmen that were willing to try to support the Fish and Wildlife Service and DOI, but not to support them doing their job in which they're charged to do to process uh, legally uh, import, uh, again, legally taken animals. I'm not talking about smuggled or illicit. This no. is legally no. taken animals approved by CITES, approved by the host country. And so... Uh, that language was passed by the House. Uh, actually, um, uh, a number of uh, Republicans offered uh, amendments to strike the language. The language was not struck. Uh, it was voted down in block, which means it was grouped together and then blow, uh, voted down. Uh, so now it moves to the Senate. Uh, and again, it's the problem here is the United States policy negatively impacting conservation policies around the world and negatively impacting the sovereign rights of indigenous people in Africa, it is it's it's hypocrisy at its at its worst. It so, is, yeah. And as those continue, if if those kind of things, it's a death knell to the species that they're saying. Oh man, we're trying to. Save. It is one hundred percent. And if and if those congressmen would stop and actually make a phone call to the ministers of those countries, or literally walk down the hall and ask one of the ambassadors that represent those three countries, how is my proposed policy here going to impact your people, they would hear directly, and they already hear it constantly, but they don't listen, they don't listen. that your politics are going to hurt wildlife conservation in my country and my people, but they simply don't care, and that's the fact. So That is, that is so sad. But it is. And that yeah. is a really tough road to hoe because these folks have been elected, and you wonder who these people are. You know, it, it concerns me the fact that, yeah, look who you've elected, but yeah. look who the electorate was that elected those That's folks right. too. That is yeah. really spooky when you get right down to it. 
It is, you know, and the thing about it is it's not just unique to the U.S. You know, no, we, no, no, we no, look no, across no. the border to the north and we see uh, Canada right now with a, a petition trying to uh, prohibit uh, legal ivory trade. Uh, again, legally taking elephants. We're not talking about poached animals no, here. No. Legally taking elephants with a conservation contribution associated with that. So that's taking place as a public consultation right now in Canada. Um, and then we look to Europe, which is uh, pretty consistently a mess from uh, trying to juggle and trying to essentially be the uh, the moral compass of the world as they believe that they are trying to be uh, from a parliament standpoint. And and right now, uh, you know, with all the things that are going on in the world and all the challenges from a public health standpoint and mental health and all these kind of things, one of the items that the British Parliament is looking to take up um, is associated with uh, sentiment animals. And by that, sort of what level of orthropod through the whole uh, continuum of animals uh, have senses and feelings and, uh, and, and feel things, if you will. And one of the most recent ones, more specifically, is the British Parliament vowing to investigate, do lobsters feel pain? I saw the headlines that thankfully yeah. you showed me, and I mean, my gracious. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about that is, is people don't want to associate death with life. Very directly, all life on earth depends directly or indirectly upon the death of another organism. When you get right down to either to eat, to in terms of plants, that plant has to die so that that can go back into the soil. I mean, everything on earth, really, as far as life is concerned, depends upon the death of something else. That's and exactly right. It's, it, it's sad that people can't realize that. And uh, everything has a footprint ecologically. You know, you yes. and I had the conversation the other day of whatever someone's dietary restrictions are, and I respect anybody's Absolutely. individual right to choose whatever they want to eat, and that's great. But I'm not here to tell you what to eat, and you shouldn't be here to tell me no, what to eat. No. Uh, but along the lines of that is, and I know you and I have both had the opportunities to engage in some, uh, I'll just call them healthy debates with people. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, yes. And uh, some fiery debates, maybe more appropriately. Yeah. Um, but when we look at the ecological footprint of, um, you know, because we, we often are criticized with, with a number of things, but, you know, from a, from a sustainable use and a consumptive take type standpoint, and which is a biologist you and I both know to be absolutely fabricated because we understand and know the science and the conservation footprint and impact that we have made yes, sir. through sustainable use uh, around the world. But those conversations about, uh, you know, that we shouldn't eat this or we shouldn't eat that, and we look at the, the impact of that and uh, from those that choose to have a, a vegetarian or a, a vegan diet, uh, it should also all be the while undertaking. Again, I respect the fact that somebody chooses to do that for dietary reasons. Great. Absolutely. Absolutely. But to not do so under the cloak and dagger and guise of the fact that it does not have an ecological impact because it has a phenomenal ecological impact because of that, that farm and those practices that actually used to be at one point in time wildlife habitat that have been converted to that type of farming have an ecological impact have a huge, I mean, look at the habitat that's lost for songbirds, if you will. You bet. Various insects, butterflies. I mean, it's just a, a long, long list of, of things that are impacted. It's not just the, if it's a, a wheat field, it's not the pronghorn antelope or the elk or the buffalo that roam there. Yeah, yeah. that's part of it. But you bet. it's so many other things that involve there in terms of wildlife. And, and unfortunately, <clears throat> excuse me, unfortunately, sometimes I think people don't, when they think of wildlife, they think maybe in terms of large animals and some birds. They don't think in terms of the entirety of what wildlife really, what all it covers kind of thing. That's but, exactly uh, right. 
all those folks, you know, I, I like you, I appreciate the fact if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But if, if it's a health reason, absolutely. But yeah. you're right. Don't do it on the guys that, oh my God, I'm not killing anything. Because if you're eating and you're alive, you're responsible for having killed something, whether you've done it yourself or you've had somebody else do it. That's exactly right. You know, so when I, when we, we sort of revisit the fact of that, looking at the lobsters feel pain and not to minimize that really, no, I think no, that's no. a, essentially it's a, it's a symptom of a really large shift in society. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a shift away from an understanding of the natural world, an understanding of a, of a, a reliance on rural lifestyle and understanding farming and agricultural practices, right? And, and how that way of life has occurred and people are, are, you know, two and three and four generations removed away from the land now. So they, they have no stewardship ethic in them to speak of, and no, they have no, no connection with the land. And so there's a complete and total disconnect there between an understanding of how oneself exists and how it's connection with the natural world. It, it, it's sad. Somewhere down the way, it, it will, the pendulum will swing, swing back. Yep. But it's going to take an unbelievable shift in, in humans as far as I'm concerned when you get right yep. down to it. Uh, in, in terms of attitude, and that attitude may be brought about by wars, some kind of pestilence, diseases, where all of a sudden now we have to go back to the very basics of things. That, that's sad. We don't need to go there because to, to make that swing all that way far back to to really do some good for wildlife. And it, it, you've talked a little bit in the past about IUCN. Mm. What's going What's going on there? Isn't there something coming up pretty quickly? There is. So we have the uh, World Congress, which is a one in four year event right. uh, that was scheduled initially for 2020. Uh, the event did not happen then uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, COVID was taking place and we were right. dealing with that and the ability to have that meeting with thousands of people from every corner of the world. Uh, it just wasn't wasn't able to happen. Um, and so the event was moved a couple of times and now it, the event is to occur in early September. Uh, the meeting is to occur in Marseille, France, uh, which that alone is creating some significant travel issues and really is kind of compromising the integrity of the meeting at this point. Yes, um, I see uh, that would be the case. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so there will be a number of people from around the world that are attending the meeting online. Um, and uh, But nonetheless, it's a very important forum for uh, international policy and conservation issues to, to move forward from a, a biodiversity strategy planning standpoint conservation of world's resources in the broadest sense from you know waters of the world to lands of the world uh, strategic planning associated with 30 by 30 initiatives all of these kind of broad huge scalable type events how do we get more organizations more uh, it's, it's more organizations than it is individuals that's it? correct yes <clears throat> how do we get more organizations involved who have a who have a science-based understanding of, of the real world. Absolutely. You know, when we look here in North America, we have a couple of organizations that are within sustainable use type organizations that believe in, you know, this science should guide Paula wildlife conservation policy. Obviously, DSC is a proud member uh, and uh, Wild Sheep Foundation is a member as well. Um, and uh, when we look, that pool gets pretty shallow after that point. Uh, and so I know I, when talking with my peers of other organizations that I certainly urge them to consider becoming a member uh, because that is the way in which 
those those initiatives, if you will, and policies move forward in a sense of you know a vote um, that and the vote only comes from the members, and so right. uh, that's that's really what we need, and we need those to engage. And you know, when we look around the world, we do have partner members there like CIC and Face and organizations that we work with and we galvanize with, and we uh, we work together with Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies is another one that we work closely right. with. Yes, sir. Obviously, an extremely strong, incredible organization that represents all of the game and fish agencies in North America, Canadian provinces as well, uh, that obviously has a, a strong background in science-based, you know, wildlife conservation. So, uh, but we need more and more organizations that are willing to, because it's a pretty honors process and Nowadays, it's not. Uh, it's it's challenging to get in. Um, right. It's not just a slam dunk guaranteed that to be accepted into IUCN, which makes membership have some credibility to it. Yes, sir. Uh, but uh, but it but it takes some effort. Well, hopefully, get some more organizations here. I mean, we've got several really great species yep. organizations here that are directly affected by all this. We do. Some a little bit indirectly, but, but there's, I mean, they just like with the Wild Turkey Federation, okay? Mm-hmm. There are wild turkeys now, red grand turkeys in, in Australia and New Zealand and all those kind of things. And, and on the white-tailed deer side, we got white-tailed deer in New Zealand, we got them in Finland, probably a few other places as well, you know? And yep. anything having to do with those species there can affect us here absolutely and vice versa too so to me it, it, it's time for everybody that can to get and get get involved and, and have more people involved on the science-based side of things rather than the hysteria that these other groups kind of like to play off of. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right and there's a few of those organizations that, that play off emotion and in fact right, they will right. absolutely just fabricate data we've seen it again you know oh, yeah Center for Biological Diversity recently filed a petition with the Department of the Interior uh, seeking to prohibit the import and export of all wild mammals and birds. Again, speaking against the authority of sovereign nations, speaking against the authority of CITES, all of those international regulatory bodies, the Center for Biological Diversity is wanting to essentially, you know, trump all of those things uh, and wanting to change U.S. policies and politics. And they do it under the guise of um, wildlife health, specifically trying to play on this pandemic. And I mean, what they do is just fraud. I'm going to call it yes, what it is, it Larry. Is. It is. I've seen some of their yep. propaganda, for lack of a better term, which I yep. and really that's what it that's is. That's what it is. Absolutely. So uh, there's organizations like them and Humane Society uh, that, that absolutely make up data, play off emotions, they don't speak to, they don't engage the stakeholders. You know, when no. you look at when they represent Africa, the only stakeholder that they will represent is Kenya. Uh, and Kenya has been probably one of the greatest examples of, <laughs> of uh, the My catastrophe God. of I management mean, that it, exists. It, it's horrible what's yeah. happened there. I mean, outside of the interior of some of the national parks, yep. I'm talking about the interior, there's Absolutely. no wildlife there anymore to speak That's about. it. And they've essentially kind of bought and paid for their place there in those countries. And uh, but you never hear of them uh, having any presence in the countries that actually have growing numbers of wildlife, you know, in Namibia and Zimbabwe and Botswana and all of those countries with prosperous wildlife conservation programs and thus wildlife numbers. And uh, and so those organizations are they're just fraudulent. They really are in what their activities and what they do uh, and. Um, and, and where they put their money more specifically. That's a whole we could spend another hour on that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, if you want to learn something, ask for a financial statement. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. On some of these things that I've been asked to be involved in in the past, that's usually, it's come down to that's my first question. Let me see a financial statement. I yeah. want to see where your money actually goes, you know. That's who, right. Whose pocket or how widely is it spread kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, well, one of the ways to get more people involved is, of course, to belong to organizations, specifically DSC. Because through that, we can provide them with more information than they can probably get anywhere else dealing on not only what's happening here in our country, but on, on throughout the world as well, too. That's exactly right. You know, we that, that is really the space in which we operate. We work with partners around the world. Uh, we don't duplicate those efforts in Europe. We rely on our partners like CIC and FACE to, to be those presence in those spaces where it's needed right. with the, you know, the parliament, where we operate here in this North American space when it comes to an advocacy standpoint. Now, we work with partners all over the world, and we have a science presence and a conservation footprint in essentially all of the continents around the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, joining an organization like DSC, people know that they have the opportunity to be a part of that. They're supporting that. They have someone that's constantly on watch in state capitals in Washington, D.C., and working with partners around the world. If it's New Zealand and tar eradication programs or if it's the you know European Union or the British Parliament or whatever it might be, uh, to things that are taking place right now in, in Washington, D.C., uh, that we are there in that space working on their behalf. Working on their behalf, we need the people there with us as well, too, in a lot of different ways in terms of membership and also in other types of support. So That's right. And we're hitting into a, a, an interesting time, as it is, I think, and, and so please become involved. Please, you know, get become a member of DSC so they can learn more about what's going on, but also uh, then become involved on an individual basis, as we were talking earlier with your legislators. That's right. You know, our desire is to convert members into advocates in the sense of that, you know, someone that is active and, and engaged in state-level issues, engaged in federal issues. Uh, come support DSC by being a member. We will keep you engaged and informed. And come join us at convention to learn more about what we're about and support our great partners from around the world that are in that space. And I think that's an absolute place to just say right now, tell us how to get in touch with, with DSC or how to get in touch with anybody here at the office. Absolutely. They can find us at biggame.org. All the information about who we are, what we're about, uh, grants, things we support, information about the convention, uh, volunteer opportunities, all those kind of things can be found right there. And we'd love to follow up with somebody. Corey, thank you. we got to roll up our sleeves and go to work. It's time to go to work. I appreciate it. A lot of ways. Thank you very much, Corey. Thank you. Join us right back here next time on DSC's Campfires. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by the Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. TRHP Outdoors. Can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Voight, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air, for all things air gun. And Ripcord, rescue travel protection. 